Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned after the podcast for insights on elevating the human experience. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad Produced at Home by Remote Working uh, Employees. Uh, My name's David Greiner. I'm the Creative and Innovation Editor with Adweek. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking quite a bit about continuing on our conversation about coronavirus and its impact on the industry. Yes, I'm Ko Im, your department's editor for Adweek, and I am alone in our podcast recording studio, but we are joined by Katie Lundstrom, our breaking news reporter based in Austin, Texas, and that's where we begin this episode. Katie, how are things looking out there, down there, um, given that today uh, or this week we're supposed to be starting... Um, being under South by Southwest festival events, coverage, all that. Yeah, so I mean, today was supposed to be the first day of South by, which would mean that traffic would be a nightmare. Locals would be hiding in their homes and kind of grumbling about how horrible things get around South by. But it also would have been really exciting for the 400,000 people that come every year. It was around, it was over 400,000 last year, so it was only expected to be bigger this year. Um, But it also brings more than $350 million to the economy. So this has um, been a really big hit for Austin um, to not have this. So yeah, it's weird. It's quiet. Um, We got our first two cases of coronavirus um, tested positive this morning in Austin. Um, And so schools are closed now. The Austin Independent School District is closed. Folks are... um, Swarming our local, our beloved local grocery store chain, HEB, um, although HEB has has assured us all that everything's going to be fine and that they will restock and they're ready for this. So Yeah, and, and it's important to know that we're ominously recording on Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah. um, and the, the push now that many of the big name sponsors started to 
um, pull out of the festival um, is to get people to not necessarily swarm, but to to band together and get together and try to keep the revenue um, and even the the optimism going. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you reported for us on adweek.com? Yeah, so um, a lot of the music venues especially uh, were hit really hard. Some of those music venues get 50% of their annual revenue from the 10 days of South By. Um, so they were really hurting um, looking at ahead at what they were going to be doing. So they kind of rallied around um, this idea of bringing locals out and creating um, an a South by for the locals um, instead of, you know, the kind of tech extravaganza that it's become. And a lot of people were kind of, you know, trying to be optimistic, like this was going to be a nostalgic old kind of South by, which, um, you know, people were kind of excited about that. The Mohawk, one of the really big, um, a really popular venues on Red River in the Red River Cultural District where, um, a lot of the big music venues are, they were working with the Merchants Association to create this campaign around bringing people out uh, for South By to support local venues. Um, And the whole theme was based on um, kind of a magic theme. Uh, They were used a bunch of these photos of a magician from the 70s and um, were leaning hard into the um, that you can do magic song by um, America, and uh, it was it's a hilarious, really fun, very optimistic, very weird, and like very Austin kind of response. Like this is bad, and we're gonna do everything we can um, to be as safe as possible, but also like we're gonna come out and support each other, and we'll do our best to mitigate um, the economic impact. And that's that. I mean, it was really exciting to hear that from people and I think people were energized by it but I think it's gonna be tested by um the the news that we got today about um about having some cases in Austin I already a friend of mine is in a band and they canceled all of their shows for South by this morning so so we'll see it's it's a hard time for Austin yeah, and we should uh, we should say that honestly, we, it's like as you probably know if you're listening to this, it would be faster for us to list the the events that are still happening yeah. than to list all the ones that have been canceled. Um, and to that to that note, on that note, we'll talk about one that is still going on for now, uh, which is the Can Lions. Uh, so in advertising, essentially, it's the biggest festival. It's about twelve thousand people. Um, and of course, right now you can't even have one thousand people in one place in France, uh, it, or maybe it's fifteen hundred. Um, but it, uh, their initial ban was five thousand. You couldn't have any events in France with more than five thousand people. Then it was about fifteen hundred. Uh, those are set to expire April fifteenth. Uh, the one thousand, the fifteen hundred ban, and then on that same day, the Can Lions organizers are supposed to announce, uh, at least by that date. Uh, whether they're going to keep going uh, and hold their event in June, uh, as they traditionally do, or move it to October, um, which would change things a lot. I've, I've been to quite a few can uh, being in the in the kind of the the summer. It's actually technically the early summer, but in the you know Mediterranean, it's pretty it's pretty hot. And uh, it would be different. It would be weird. I've been jokingly calling it uh, pumpkin spice can. <laughs> and uh, 
it's it would be neat. Uh, I actually would love not sweating profusely everywhere. Uh, but also, fun fact: uh, Can actually started in September uh, when it first uh, when it first came about, and it was in Venice and not Can. So. It's moved, it's jumped around, it's moved dates. Uh, It's like a lot of people are acting like this would be the weirdest thing. And it's like, well, on a long enough timeline, uh, this festival has changed quite a lot uh, in a lot of different ways. But, you know, it just goes to show that right now, basically every event in uh, March, April, gone. Uh, And then June... Uh, May and June, May is still, there's still the DNAD Festival, big advertising festival in London, has not been canceled or postponed. Uh, although they did today, as we record this, announce that they were looking at contingency plans for their judging. They did not say anything about their festival. Um, and so that one's in like late May. Uh, and then Can has just said, we've secured a week in October if we need to move it. But man, it's... Uh, Co. It feels like the we have a tracker. I should definitely point out the coronavirus um, uh, cancellations and travel restrictions tracker that we have on Adweek.com. We've been keeping it on the homepage, and I can't even keep track of how often <laughs> it's been updated. It is just a flurry of major event cancellations and updates on what what brands are doing. Uh, what, what what kind of trends? I mean, what are we missing that we haven't talked about so far in terms of the biggest trends of of uh, what the coronavirus has done in the in the past week since we last reported on this on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of shift from this wait-and-see approach to being a little bit more proactive, whether it's from, you know, a higher level or um, it kind of trickles up from government and then to festival organizers. Um, you know, I, I think some people um, are outright canceling, right? So the NBA suspended season. Other people are postponing, like potentially with Ken, with the contingency plan. And maybe the contingency plan is, you know, more of a a, a thought as we like go forward at all. Um, And other people are delaying. Yeah, like uh, Coachella did that, right? Yeah. Yeah, Coachella was like backed out to October. Everything's going to be in uh, in October this year. (laughs) Yeah, Q3 is going to be super busy. Uh, We don't know still what's going to happen yet, right? So everyone feels a little bit um, uncertain and potentially on edge about, you know, okay, this is a plan for now. Um, And then, you know, a lot of things are being moved virtually. You know, can is the same time as Collision, which would have brought um, a global um, speaker base to Toronto. Um, and they have already made it a virtual event instead. Now, we don't know how that's going to play out, if people are going to be tuned in. A lot of people go to these conferences for the networking, you know, um, for the the in-person um, camaraderie. And then that obviously affects the sponsors who are, um, you know, either going to have to also make their activations or displays digital or not. And with Katie's um, story in South By, um, you know, they because in many cases those events um, don't refund uh, coronavirus illnesses 
epidemics, um, they are there instead giving a credit. So, Katie, do you want to share what happened with um, one of the smaller events that would have happened Monday with Made In? Yeah, so they were going to have, um, this is a local DTC brand that's been around for a couple years. Um, they make um, high quality cookware for um, chefs like home chefs, and um, they are used in a lot of restaurants around town. And they were going to have this 300-person paella dinner. Um, They had pulled together a lot of different um, Austin folks, um, a musician. Um, They were bringing in some... um, some award-winning chefs from elsewhere, but like most of the on-the-ground stuff was um, folks from Austin, and they had to cancel um, just because even before um, South by was canceled itself, they had so many people canceling on the the dinner reservation um, that they they did eventually decide to instead of instead of canceling outright, just postpone um, and let folks keep their deposits and said like we're gonna try and make this happen anyways within a month or three months we don't want to kind of throw all of you under the bus um because just because this happened um so I they were doing they were kind of really trying to mitigate um the negative effects on the folks that they were working with in town um which you know with so many people coming in from out of town, not everybody really did. There, I talked also to a production company, um, Panacea Collective, which actually didn't make it into the piece, but um, they they were looking at a 25% loss um, in revenue for the year, and there's just really no way for them to make that up. And um, with no other big events happening soon, it's just going to get worse. So. So, yeah. Can I can I run a uh, can I run a conspiracy theory past you guys? Sure, <laughs> sure. That's what we're known for. We like to peddle conspiracy theories here on this podcast. Um, okay, so have you guys read the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books? Yes. No. Okay. So I had a feeling Coat would say no. They're very dark. <laughs> um, so it, there is a scene, and it to me is the worst scene in the entire trilogy um, because it never comes to anything. There's no that it never gets paid off. There's a scene where she's on this like island. I forget what country she's in, but she's the girl with the dragon tattoo is on on a vacation, and a hurricane hits. And during the hurricane, she somehow notices that this guy has like I think clubbed his wife and is dragging her out to the ocean, and he's going to throw her in the ocean to like cover up the fact he killed her. Uh, like he's using the hurricane as a an excuse to commit a murder, like basically to cover it up. And he gets intercepted by the girl with the dragon tattoo, and I think he ends up dying, and the wife gets saved. But it never goes anywhere. That's my beef with it. Anyway, anyway, I wonder sometimes with some of these conferences, and none none of the ones we're with that we've mentioned so far, to be clear. Um, but how many events are being canceled due to coronavirus that were kind of upside down, and like we're going to lose a ton of money? Or, you know, things that were in really bad shape. Because we have focused our coverage and our conversations on all the all the ones that everyone was excited about. And they were going to do very well, uh, South by Southwest and a bunch of these others. But I've also heard, like, these kind of, like, mutterings about some of the, some of the things that are not delayed. Like, or, you know, where it's just outright canceled. Um, some people have said, like, 
Well, I had heard that they were basically like on the verge of going right. bankrupt like, anyway. And maybe there are this these is an fire excuse. festivals that are just like, they're like, oh, yeah, darn coronavirus. But it was actually a fire festival. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like, so it's like pocket the money, right? Oh, no refunds, force majeure and all that in your contract. Oh, David. Um, no. So <laughs> so the, the big one, I'll say the big one that's been discussed in this way is E3, the, uh, you know, the electronic whatever expo. Um, but the big gaming convention, that's one that's been struggling for years. And the, to their credit, they put off canceling, I think, as long as they physically could. Uh, so I do think they were trying to wait it out. But that's one that's been struggling. And a lot of people are like, well, eh, they might conveniently use this. But I do think there are several where it's like, you know, if they're not giving refunds and they're not rescheduling and it's not a gigantic, unmovable festival, part of me is like, hmm, is this is this a girl with a dragon tattoo hurricane? Which is a long, <laughs> long nickname. I need a more, I need a tighter nickname. Anyway, let's let's move on to something like, the, well, okay, let's take a break uh, before we dive into I'm yet gonna, another. I'm going to continue to wipe out the image of that you described. And <laughs> oh, got to read those books, man. That's like the least dark thing that happens in those books. All right, um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about working from home and how the entire industry is doing it now. So we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned as Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, discusses the next great transformation in human experience. And we are back. And we are working from home, or at least shifting to that culture. It's becoming a new normal for many of the employees around the country. Um, it's definitely a newer concept in um, other parts of the world. But Google, Twitter, the likes of smaller companies have followed suit in telling people to opt for remote work as part of a social distancing push and, you know, trying to flatten the curve. I am rejoined by my colleagues, Katie and David, who already work from home. So I want to ask, you know, what are your what are your own best practices? I'm a terrible work from homer. Um, so I will probably be coming into the office because I walk anyways and then maintaining that six feet of healthy distance. But tell me what it's like for you. Um, well, I mean, I a lot of the like, you know, the classic, it's best to get up and get into real clothes and like do a bunch of stuff before you start working. I'm not very good at that, to be honest. Um, yeah, <laughs> Wait, what are, you, what are you wearing? Like sweatpants right now? I'm wearing pajama pants. <laughs> I mean, if we're being honest, uh, same. I do have a hoodie. I got a hoodie on. But yeah, no, I'm wearing pajama pants. They're really cozy. I put a hat on because I had to do a video call with Jameson earlier. So, <laughs> Jameson, our chief of staff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, I started working remote six years ago. And I've been remote ever since. And I was in an office. I was in an ad agency before that for eight years and newsrooms before that. So it was new to me at the time. My The thing that got me, and this is not helpful for people switching right now, is that I had to go out into public. I couldn't take it. I, I couldn't stand the silence. Um, and so I would go to coffee shops probably three out of five days uh, and work from there. And I, the noise really helped me. Um, and just the, the buzz kind of helped me transition. But eventually I just – I needed that less and less and I got used to it. I think the thing that – the misconception or maybe – I don't know. Maybe it's just true of a lot of people is that 
people think there's a lot of distractions at home and that you're going to, I'd be distracted watching Netflix or doing whatever, or playing with my dog. And like, I don't know, Katie, I'm curious to get your thoughts that I have the opposite problem. My problem is I, I kick my kids out the door at seven 30 in the morning. I sit down and start working and I get up at seven at night and, and I have barely moved except maybe to make a lunch at like 3 PM. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's the hardest thing for me is like keeping like reasonable work hours. I am I really frequently just end up not moving for eight hours and then realizing that probably I should eat something and then have do some more work um, again. And like I'm just not very good at um, keeping that separate, I guess. And I guess the distractions that sometimes gets to me like. But it's more like, oh, my God, I really need to clean the bathroom. And I'm just sitting here staring at the bathroom and I like have this work to do. So it's that kind of distraction. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I recently my um, my sister's boyfriend has been like also working from our house. So we have like our little mini co-working space, Mm -hmm. which is much better because then we can like at least share some things about work, send each other tweets all day and he'll make food so that works out well um but it's it's yeah better if somebody else is around it's nice that i live in a house with roommates and and now we're all going to be working from home my roommate who's a grad student ut is the university of texas is shut down and um so she's going to be home um and then my sister just got um sent home today they're going to be working from home from now on so there'll be four of us here well, it's it's yeah. good that you have people around who, I guess, could serve as distractions, but also, like, you know, we can go an entire day, even, you know, entrepreneurs who are in co-working spaces without actually talking to somebody because we have, you know, Slack and whatnot. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was reading um, Eric Oster's piece about how work from home has kind of not been talked about. Um, and David, I want to get your take on this because you had that agency experience, you know, the, the idea that, you know, creatives, um, might need to, to collaborate really in person and see things and especially product people need to feel things, but like, you know, maybe now there's a little bit of a, a tipping point to encourage, um, work from home. Yeah. I mean, I think there's. It's, it's like any field, like journalism is the same way, where every department's a little different and their ability to work remote and not so much remote. Remote doesn't matter so much as independently, like the ability to work by yourself. Um, what I do now as an editor, as a writer, is easy and productive to do remote. Uh, I can have very long and, if need be, very loud conversations on the phone without interrupting anybody. Without You know, it's just there's a lot of things that I take for granted until I'm in the Adweek office. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, office decorum. I have to be, you know, quiet and polite. And versus at home, I can just kind of wander. Like, I like to, to walk and talk when mm-hmm. I'm talking to people. Um, and so it's just things like that that I find that I'm, I'm personally more productive. That said, I was a copywriter, uh, you know, in my advertising days. And I had a partner who was an art director and we were inseparable like most creative teams uh, when we were working on projects. And I don't know. I don't think we could have done that um, separately. Like remote, sure, as long as we were together. 
Uh, but I am curious if you, by the way, if you are a creative or, I don't know, just whatever you do, uh, we want to hear from you. Drop us a note at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Because every job is different. And if you do like media strategy or spreadsheets or even project management, I don't think you have to be there. I think those jobs are are easy and actually maybe even more productive uh, remote, although I'm certainly interested to hear. But what we found in that story that uh, Eric and Patrick Culp wrote uh, that you're referencing about how will the coronavirus outbreak end up being a tipping point? for uh, this idea of how agencies see working from home. We focused on agencies just because, man, there's just so many businesses you could talk about, uh, media and brands and everything else. With agencies, there is a stigma, uh, probably unearned, about remote employees. And it's been fading uh, somewhat, slowly. But uh, we talked to a lot of folks who said, you know, this, this is the time that agencies are going to find out, oh, Oh, you know, you know what? People are actually pretty productive when they're remote, and we don't have to pay rent for them. <laughs> you know, it's like there there's a lot less overhead in Manhattan or wherever uh, when you're when you have these folks remote. Uh, but uh, it, you know, I will be I will be fascinated to see if this actually has any long term uh, you know repercussions, or if as soon as the outbreak's over, everyone's like, "All right, get back to work." Right, right. And I, I think, you know, for me, you know, could could I, you know, look at layout and um, a, approve things virtually uh, while still being kind of intellectually with um, our art director for the magazine layout? Yeah, hypothetically, but it's so much easier. You know, last night um, when I was looking at um, – Katie's story, you know, it was like, okay, we need to put this in, but for some reason, this CMS isn't working. So I guess if I was remote, I could have, you know, gone onto Zoom or Google Meet and um, shared my screen and be like, what, what is, what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> but instead, you know, Ron Goodman uh, was able to just come by my desk and and check it out. So you know, I think there are some ways that technology can help us and and provide a, a workaround. And um, you know, as somebody who is so for, you know, face-to-face interaction and human connection. Um, it is a little, it'll, a little jarring. Um, but I wanted to also ask you guys, you know, I know we talked a little bit about this, Katie, like what's the mood, um, David, for you, uh, where you are in, in Alabama? I tried to go to Costco last night. We're recording this on uh, Friday. Uh, I tried to go Thursday night. I was waved off by a lady in the um, parking lot. When I eventually found a spot, she was like, don't go. Uh, If you've ever seen Cabin in the Woods, uh, she is the harbinger, the one who tries to warn (laughs) you away from disaster. Um, And she just told me, like, everything's sold out. Toilet paper, dog food, everything is sold out. You're better off coming back first thing in the morning when they restock. And then I went over to the grocery store, uh, Publix, if you're in the South, um, and it was fine. <laughs> like there, there was no crowds. People were still loading up on toilet paper. And I have to admit that's one of those where I'm just like, okay, people really planning to use a lot of toilet paper. But I mostly loaded up on canned goods because um, what you're really loading up for is if you can contract uh, you know, COVID-19 uh, or someone in your household does and you have to quarantine yourself for two weeks, that, that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much toilet paper are you really going to blow through in two weeks? But you are going to blow through food very quickly. Um, but, uh, but in terms of the mood in the community, I was at a conference the other day, uh, a women in leadership conference, uh, well, yesterday, well, days all 
getting very long. But I was there yesterday, and um, it was a 1,500-person conference. It was the last conference that will be allowed in our yeah. region. Like that day, uh, the county government issued a ban on all events larger than maybe 500 people. So, and and at that conference, there was a no, like signs everywhere, no hugging, no handshaking. And I, Co, I feel like you and I are huggers. Yes, I give really good hugs too. This this has been a rough time for me as a <sighs> as a inveterate hugger. I'm just like, Ugh. and like my mom was being honored at this conference, and I got there, and I had to elbow bump my mom, and she was like, uh, "No, you're going to hug me. I don't care what happens." I was like, "What if we get kicked out?" <laughs> but honestly, um, it, I don't think I touched anyone this week physically. That's good. Which is, good, good, you good know, progress. not great as a human. Yeah, it's sad. Well, so I, okay, Co, I'm going to turn this around on you because um, I have a question I've been saving for this podcast for you. Oh, and maybe, no. Maybe okay. it's a good one. It's a good one to end on, I think, because it's somewhat upbeat. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that my anxiety level is is high. I'm not, I'm not a high anxiety person. I'm a pretty chill person. And so I think if you already have anxiety issues, this is a rough time. Um, my shoulders are like next to my ears at at all hours of the day. You know, I have just like that clenched. My body feels clenched every minute. And it's been like this for going on <laughs> two weeks or whatever. And it's that generalized anxiety, just that like, I, if you asked me, I wouldn't even know what to tell you, uh, like what I'm nervous about. And of course, it's way more intense for uh, friends in Italy and people who are dealing with Really hardcore lockdowns and outbreaks. Here's my question to you, Co, and to Katie, if you have thoughts on this. What do you do? What do you do to get, to take a breath and to just like force yourself to stop freaking out? Katie, I'm going to let you go first and then I'll provide yeah. a tip. And then, then Co will give her TED Talk on. <laughs> I mean, this is something I've thought about a lot, like in the last few months, because um, I don't... I, th- I am a pretty high anxiety person. I mean, I go to yoga if I can, and I have a lot of wine, and I talk to my friends about my problems, and I try to be open. And like, I think that that's. I mean, I we've been talking so much about like our fears around this, and like trying to parse through like what's what's an overreaction and what's a reasonable response. And I think just talking about it with people that like you actually trust. That's, I don't know, that's the only thing that really helps me and wine. Yeah. So anxiety hijacks the mind, right? So for for you and for anyone who's listening out there, if you're able to do this safely, um, let's just do something together to, to end this podcast on a hopefully more relaxed note. So see if you can just close your eyes. And take a breath in and take a breath out of the mouth as long as there's nobody like super close <laughs> around you. And then the next time you breathe in, really fill up your low belly because that stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system and then exhale out the mouth again. And then just start to shake your hands like you're, you just washed your hands and you're trying to dry them off. And what this does is it drops you out of your head and into your body. And then even just shake out your shoulders or like make some circles with those tense shoulders. And then feel your feet on the ground and take another belly breath in. 
and a breath out the mouth. So little hijacks or disruptors or little mindful movements have helped me. Um, and like Katie said, you know, staying connected with other people in a way that you can. And also, you know, stepping away um, from from coverage that feels like too much. I know it's very easy to get sucked in, but, um, you know, I try to distract myself with Netflix or whatever at the end of the day. Um, so hopefully that helped. Um, and, of course, if you need to, see a professional. Um, but, yes, that's that's my offer to, to you if you've made it to the end of this podcast episode. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you for that, Co. Very welcome. All right. Well, on that note, that's a wonderful note. That's so much of a better note to end on than I was worried my Katie, thank you so much for making time for us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And Co, as always, thank you so much for co-hosting and everything you do and for being the only one of us actually in the office to make all this happen. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Co M with production assistance by Josh Rios and edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, don't forget, you can send us an email at any time to podcast at adweek.com that's podcast at adweek.com if you haven't already please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts those reviews mean a lot to us personally and they help new listeners discover the show for adweek i'm david greiner and we'll be back next week welcome to elevating the human experience from deloitte digital emotional data is going to fuel the next great transformation in marketing Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, explains what that means to building bonds, really loyal bonds, with your customers. We're on the edge of the next great transformation. This transformation focuses on bringing humanity back into our everyday business transactions that may have been lost as we scaled up systems, processes, and interaction channels. This transformation will be driven by experience data, and specifically, our ability to contextually understand our customers' unique situations and begin to create trusting emotional connections. This transformation cannot be driven by process alone. Organizations' ability to leverage emotionally intelligent platforms to recognize and use emotional data at scale will be one of the biggest, most important opportunities for customers to create sustained value going forward. Understanding an organization's emotional data health and how to leverage emotional data to interact with customers is the first step in the process to driving value from this untapped data source. Marketing organizations have long understood the importance of connecting emotionally with customers to get them across the purchasing threshold, but this shouldn't be isolated to marketing. It needs to permeate the entire organization and tech ecosystem. In fact, if organizations can create more emotionally connected customers, it can drive true loyalty and financial value. In our research, 76% of the customers that feel an emotional connectedness or relationship with a brand have been loyal to that brand for more than four years. Think about that for a minute. If we know that leveraging already known contextual data through customer feedback, case notes, multimedia submissions, to name a few, can be used to create multi-year relationships, why wouldn't we use that data? Not only does it create more meaningful relationships with our most valuable assets, our customers, but it also drives true operational value by reducing acquisition and customer maintenance costs. Being good at what each organization calls customer experience is no longer good enough and may frankly be chasing the wrong idol. Building powerful and durable emotional bonds requires looking to the broader, deeper connections that make up the human experience. 
We at Deloitte believe that an organization's ability to recognize and use emotional data at scale will be one of the biggest opportunities created by technology today and will be one of the biggest differentiators that sets organizations apart in the growing experience economy. Want to learn more about elevating the human experience through emotion-driven engagement? Visit DeloitteDigital.com slash US slash Emotion Research for more insight. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.